Okay, so I know it's been a really late start in this semester. It's already October and I'm only recording my first episode. And to be totally honest, it has been quite the past few weeks to be a journalism major. I'm sure that any of you that actually follow, you know, the Amherst Wire's general uh, news media and media in general know that there have been a lot of protests going on on campus following sexual assault allegations against a member of the Theta Chi fraternity by a woman who goes to UMass. And I just want to take a moment um, and let people know about the resources that are available to you on campus. Um, Unfortunately, the first email that the chancellor sent out to campus did not include any of these resources that the university is required to provide under Title IX, and I just want to make sure that everybody has seen them. There have been past, excuse me, there have been emails sent out since the email from Subhaswami um, that have included these resources, but I can completely understand the media fatigue and maybe not checking every email that you get from the administration at this point out of sheer frustration, so I'm just going to provide these numbers for you now. The Center for Women and Community at UMass Amherst has a 24-hour rape crisis hotline. The number for that is 413-545-0800. You can also call the RAIN or R-A-I-N-N, National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. And if you're unable to make a phone call, um, RAIN also has an online chat function, which is online.rain.com. And if you're looking for a more local hotline that is not affiliated with the university, the Massachusetts SafeLink hotline is 1-877-785-2020. And if you're looking for more information about women's safety on campus, I did publish an article to the Amherst Wire called Sexual Assault on Campus, The Numbers. It includes a short-form documentary that I made last semester for a class called Text Me When You're Home Safe, and the accompanying article includes a lot of statistics um, from both the National Center for Education and the Office on Women's Health applied to the actual campus population of UMass Amherst. So I know there's a lot of conversation going on right now and maybe not a lot of facts, and if you were looking to maybe add a little bit of clarity for yourself or someone else in your life who may not be the most understanding on this issue, that could be a good place to start. And any of the sources that I include in that article, um, I would say the vast majority of them, if not all of them, are public domain. So it's things that you can all access yourself if you want to do some more research and if you want a good jumping off point for talking points at the next forum with the administration, for example, um, feel free to use anything from that article. Um, I published it for that very reason. to talk about two different books today. Now, there are two very different books in length. Um, We've got a long book, we've got a short book. Both of them are horror because it is, as I'm recording this, October 2nd, so it is the start of spooky season, and we all know that I have to start this off with some spooky books. However, these two books, what they have in common is that they are 
phenomenal books to get out of a reading slump. I read them this summer and absolutely like devoured them in probably ooh, the longer one maybe took me two days and the shorter one I read in just one sitting. I, as someone in a reading slump right now, wish that I could go back in time and reread those books for the first time. The first book is a shorter book. It's only 188 pages and it's called We Need to Do Something. It's by Max Booth III. And yes, I did find this book on TikTok. I am not ashamed to get a lot of my recommendations from BookTok because there are a lot of really refreshing content creators on there who have very different perspectives about what is entertaining and what is scary when it comes to horror. So I really recommend going onto TikTok for horror book recommendations. I'm not even going to lie. I'm not even going to pretend to be an elitist right now because frankly, um, I got most of my book recommendations from TikTok this summer. And the second longer book is called The Ruins. It's by Scott Smith and it's 319 pages. So both of these books have been made into movies. I have watched The Ruins movie. I have not watched the We Need to Do Something movie. And to be totally honest, I am probably not going to watch that movie. Let's let's start with We Need to Do Something. You will read the whole thing in one sitting. I actually highly recommend reading the whole thing in one sitting because what really makes that book scary is the atmosphere. I apologize. It's going to be a moment. If we have like the ability to use elevator music. I don't know what music we actually have access to. That's really the fun part about student media is you don't own the rights to anything, but I have to look up the names of these characters because I cannot remember. I can remember the plot of this book. I cannot remember the names. I, I'm, I'm sorry, bad journalism maybe, but I don't know. Can we insert elevator music or some kind of music? Can we, can we get the rights to that? Thanks, okay. Let's talk about We Need to Do Something. It's about a Texas family of four, so mom, dad, a teenager named Melissa, and then her younger brother named Bobby. They are stuck in a bathroom during a tornado warning. Okay, so let's get a little backstory on this family because they were not starting in a very good place. We have the mom who is Mm, spoiler alert, not really fully in her marriage, if you know what I mean. There may or may not be another man involved, but you can't completely blame her because the dad is an abusive alcoholic. So this book, as you are probably already guessing um, from the first 30 seconds of me talking about it, has quite a few trigger warnings for abuse, alcoholism, um, suicide, self-harm, um, death of a child, and I'm trying to think of what else. I think that is it. Um, at least that is all that I can remember. Um, all around, it's a pretty disturbing book, but it's nothing that was so shocking. I feel the need to really warn people, like, you, you, you should stay away from this book, like, if you're not in a good place mentally. It's one of those things where it's a freaky horror book. It includes some very real-world issues, but it's nothing so extreme and over-the-top. Oh my gosh, sorry, another, another trigger warning, um, cannibalism. So, yeah, um, also spoiler alert, because, uh, I want to talk about this book. I need to talk about this book because it's been sitting in the back of my mind since early August. So let's let's talk about it. Good morning, everyone. Okay. Um. Anyway, so the whole family is bringing basically what they think that they will need in this event. Um, 
this event being an emergency. Uh, the mom is bringing blankets. I think she may have brought some food. The dad brings literally a thermos of whiskey. The teenage daughter, who is the protagonist, her name is Melissa. She brings her cell phone, and her younger brother Bobby has his board games. Right, seems very typical for like a kind of problematic but also fairly normal family. So, throughout the book, Melissa is texting her friend. She uh, may or may not have, as we're finding out as the story progresses, she's texting her friend worried about other people finding out about something that she and her friend did. Now, it turns out that she and her friend may or may not have dabbled in some witchcraft. Um, Listen, listen, listen. I want teenage girls playing with witchcraft in every single book that I read from now on, okay? Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. I don't think that it is. I'm also yelling into the microphone, so I need to make it a little bit quieter because I'm just that excited about witchcraft, okay? I would say what Max Booth III does very well with this is he takes the line of reality and just twists it completely. You can imagine that being trapped in a small room with your family, which is already under a lot of stress and tension, can sort of make you lose your sense of reality after a while. But on top of that, they have no windows. They can hear a storm outside. They hear a tree fall and collapse the roof of their house and block the door to the bathroom so they can't get out. On top of this, Melissa is trying to figure out if it's the witchcraft that she and her friend did that actually caused this. So, as the reader, you're relying on this extremely unreliable, very panicked narrator trying to figure out what the heck is happening. So, is this just a scary situation that could happen to anyone because it's a natural disaster with a fairly, again, um, unhealthy but not abnormal family? trapped in a small space because of this inevitable natural disaster um it's a lot listen okay i'm claustrophobic (laughs) and so reading this was not um uh it's 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 a very on-brand horror for me i also have a semi-irrational fear of tornadoes i'm in massachusetts you can imagine we really don't get a lot of tornadoes but that doesn't stop me from being afraid of them This is probably the scariest part of the book, and it repulsed me to the point I had to put it down for a minute, but then immediately picked it back up again. Okay, um... As the family is slowly losing its grip on reality, Melissa is thinking about a dog that her family used to have, which got hit by a car and then they buried under their... under a tree in their backyard. And then she's thinking, wait, isn't that the tree that fell into our house? And then, because her grip on reality is loosening a bit, she starts to think, because that tree fell in this natural disaster, maybe Spot came back to life. Maybe Spot is alive. So, (sighs) I am so sorry for what I'm about to tell you, but I can't hold this. I can't hold this in my head anymore. I've been waiting. I have been waiting to share this, okay? I need to keep turning down the mic because I keep getting louder. So she's thinking, maybe, maybe Spot is, um, maybe he's, maybe he's still alive, right? And then, oh my god. 
they hear scratching on the bathroom door and Melissa is really excited and says it's Spot like it's 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 our dog and um her little brother Bobby who is also kind of losing it but he's also a little kid so he's not he's gonna believe his big sister also is getting excited and is saying oh my gosh Spot's back um she goes over to the door and there's like a little break in the wood I guess so she can kind of like jam her hand in basically she can stick her hand out through the door but it's not enough that she could like open the door and right up against the door um is the fallen tree so they are they're still effectively trapped but she has that little gap that little opening and so she sticks her hand through to try to pet the dog and the dog is licking her hand and she says oh spot I'm so glad you're back like you're such a good boy and uh human (laughs) a human replies and says yes I am a good boy like a like a like a man. He then, he then takes her hand and tries to like put the whole hand in his mouth. Nobody can see him, but she can feel him. So she starts screaming and then her family's trying to pull her back away from it. And she, she, she grabs his tongue. (laughs) And as her family is pulling her back, she rips this man's tongue out. We're just going to sit for a minute with that information. I'm, I'm so sorry. No further comment on what happens with the tongue. Um, you're going to have to read it to find out. I'm not sorry at all. The book then begins to take us through this feverish hallucination that Melissa is having about the witchcraft that she and her friend were doing. And you realize they may have actually caused this tornado. It's not a tornado at all. Maybe. It might be. <laughs> literally the apocalypse that they brought on with their witchcraft and that is that again I had some mild spoilers in there but I mean the plot isn't necessarily what makes this book so scary it's the lack of grip on reality that even you start to have this is why I highly recommend reading it in one sitting because that is when it will mess with you the most so apparently this is a movie now and I just I really don't uh there are some things that I don't need visuals on ever and uh, this book is one of them okay good talk everybody how long have I been recording 22 minutes okay way I can highly recommend this to you we're gonna take a little detour we're gonna take a little break we're gonna take a little sanity break between these novels okay I promise you the next one is not as bad the Barnes and Noble in Hadley has this seasonal menu that the baristas come up with and they do such a fantastic job it's actually incredible so they do quote-unquote secret menu drinks I guess whatever so they had a pumpkin patch chai so it's an iced chai with the pumpkin cream cold foam whatever it is the one that you get on the cold brew and cinnamon on top of a chai when I tell you that literally tasted like pumpkin pie in a cup and it was so good but now I am so highly caffeinated even though I didn't even have a coffee I just had a chai and it's hitting me and I understand I'm talking really fast but I have good news because I do have a co-host and she and I will be recording together very soon I'm very excited I'm gonna keep it a surprise so she can introduce herself 
but I am very excited to be recording with her and to have someone to cut me off, essentially, because that's what we need. Okay, let's talk about The Ruins. I am so excited to talk about this book. That was such a hard S noise. I'm so sorry. I am so excited to talk about this book because it is the ultimate, like, book-to-screen adaptation. Now, we're going to get into that because I don't know if they did an excellent job adapting the book into a movie, but the way that the book was written made it excellent for a movie adaptation. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wish the... hmm, I wish the amount of money that went into creating uh, Dr. Sleep by Stephen King and making that atrocity into a movie went into making The Ruins into a movie because it could have been phenomenal. But instead, it it was like the typical 2008 film. It was very early 2000s. It was cheesy and we'll get into it, okay? But the book, phenomenal. Highly recommend. So it is about four American tourists. They're uh, college students or maybe post-grad, I think. Um, So it's Eric, his girlfriend Stacy, and then Stacy's best friend Amy and Amy's boyfriend Jeff, who's a medical student. They're on vacation in Mexico and they're at this little like resort hotel. They're having fun on the beach. They're getting drunk with other like people their age, having a great time. And then they meet this German guy and Matthias? 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 Hold on a moment. (laughs) Let me make a podcast. I can't pronounce anything. Matthias. Okay, Matthias. So they meet this guy named Matthias, and he's like, they're all getting drunk on the beach together. And he's like, listen, I came here with my brother, and he went off with this girl who's an archaeologist to her um, dig site and he was supposed to come back and he didn't come back yet. I'm really worried about him. Can you guys come help me find him? And they're all like, ow, I just cracked my elbow. Did you hear that? I hope not. Um, okay. So (laughs) they head to like rural Mexico in the jungle away from their beach resort. They do not really tell anyone where they're going. They leave a note for um the friends of this greek guy who they have come with him who by the way like this greek guy does not speak english they do not speak greek they cannot communicate with each other so they're just you know like la-di-da into the woods they take a bus ride and then they get to the bus stop and then they have to take a taxi and the taxi driver originally refuses to take them there he says like no like this place isn't any good i don't want to drive you there it's not safe And they're like, no, it's okay. Like, we'll give you $20 if you do it. And so he takes it. He drives them there and just leaves them there. They find a Mayan village and it's a little weird. They see some kids just kind of staring at them and they don't say anything back. But the group just assumes it's because they don't speak Spanish. As in the Mayans don't speak Spanish and they only speak like rudimentary Spanish. Basically, this this whole thing is like a, a cautionary tale of why Americans need to stop going to um, foreign countries where they don't speak the language and don't understand the culture and just going, la-di-da, let me, let me just go. 
even though like you need to be a professional to go to a dig site like let me just let's just go it'll be fun I don't speak Mayan let me I, I didn't do any research on Mayan culture like all of this could have been avoided if you did a quick Wikipedia search or anything I don't know I don't know Maybe that's what Scott Smith was going for, but that's what I took out of it, is Americans are dumb when they travel. They, they, they find this trail, and it's, like, covered with branches. It, it's like somebody tried to hide it. They don't take that as a red flag. That's, there's a hint. And they cut away the branches, and they go down their little trail, and they're like, oh, it's, it, it's probably fine, even though it was covered. And at that point, I think it's Amy. Yeah, Amy's like, I... I wasn't comfortable going in the first place and now you mean to tell me we are going down this covered up trail and it's really creepy here like I'm not I'm not loving it and Jeff her boyfriend is all we need the cultural experience blah 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 it's like go to a museum what are you doing messing with indigenous people leave them alone sorry was this whole book just anti-colonial probably anywho on the way there they run into these um armed um mayan men and right behind them is this like hill i guess and on top of the hill there's some ruins and it's all covered in this vine this like green vine like plant and um according to the little hand-drawn map that um matthias matthias i just looked Matthias's brother left for him uh that's where the dig site is and so they go to go past these Mayan men they don't keep in mind these men don't speak Spanish and they don't speak Mayan the Americans do not speak Mayan and they start kind of like raising their weapons at them like trying to keep them away from the ruins again yet another red flag and they're just like no no we gotta go there my brother's up there bleh so whatever they push past they push past the Mayans and they go up to to the ruins and as soon as they step foot on them like they start climbing the hill the Mayans are like yelling at them but they don't understand it obviously and they keep going and then they realize that the Mayans have like it completely encircled the dig site so that they the Mayans aren't going near the dig site, but they've encircled it so that the Americans cannot come off. So they get there in the tents and Matthias's brother, nowhere to be found. The girl that he went with, nowhere to be found. The other archaeologists who were presumably there because it's a dig site and there's normally more than one, nowhere to be found. But there is, so there's a couple tents, right, that are empty. They've got some supplies in them and people's clothes. So obviously they've been lived in, but no sign of where these people actually went. And there's a well in addition to that. And all of a sudden from the bottom of the well, they hear like this chirping noise and it sounds like a, like a phone ringtone. And they're like, oh, thank God. Like there's a phone and it has signal because none of our phones have signal out here. And we need to call for help because these Mayans aren't letting us leave. What the heck? They send the Greek guy down. <laughs> they send the Greek guy down the well and they don't check that the rope hold like that goes how do i describe it you know how there's like a, a pulley system in front of on top of <laughs> you know how most wells have a pulley system above them they didn't check the rope on the pulley system they just tied the greek guy up into it and they don't know his name that's why i'm referring to him as the greek guy i'm not being like lazy 
that's what they call him. Um, so basically, oh, Pablo, Pablo's his name. Pablo's the name of the Greek guy. Okay, sorry, that was my mistake. Anyway, so they lower Pablo down to the well. The acid, like, or whatever substance is coming out of these vines that cover the whole ruins have weakened the rope. They don't check this. They don't notice it until Pablo is halfway down the well and the rope snaps. They send down Eric and Amy the makeshift like backboard because they've figured out that Pablo has broken his back um and that okay listen body horror like the name of this novel is body horror I just like it was like hey you know what's scary breaking your back but they're not wrong um at all (laughs) and just the idea of having to try to help an injured person with only one other person there who has some semblance of medical experience um and he's only in medical school and then on top of that you have no equipment no way to contact anybody no way to know if anybody is coming to help you like that alone scary enough so they lower Amy and the backboard down into the well, and Eric and Amy, uh, they lift up Pablo, who is, like, screaming in pain, and just Scott Smith does not hold back on those very gory descriptions. I'm sorry. Okay, um, so they lower him onto the board, kind of. Lower is a nice way of putting it. They get him onto that board, and they can still hear the cell phone, and Eric figures out, it's like, okay, it's coming from this sort of, almost like a mine shaft. It's, it's like a tunnel, um, that is next to the well. So, they have Pablo kind of in, like, a, a makeshift tent on the backboard, they don't really know how to administer medical care to him. Like, I'm sorry, Jeff is a medical student and they're dealing with a very gory injury with very limited supplies. So they're trying their best, but they're not doing well. The next morning they wake up and they find that the vines that have made their way onto um, Pablo's legs, which he could not feel himself because he broke his back and was paralyzed and had started consuming the flesh on his legs. To be totally honest, I don't know how else Scott Smith would have introduced a flesh-eating plant um, in, a, in, a, in a better way. Um, to me, it almost felt a little bit like he he maybe jumped the gun like it was just so much so soon and I think it was supposed to have a shock factor but all I could think of was the pothos plant in my room and I was like okay um but I will say trust me you will be scared of a plant by the end of this book and it's just a complete from from that point onward and I won't say anymore because I don't want I really don't want to spoil this one because it, it has some excellent twists and turns for a book that is 300 pages long you would think it would get boring and it doesn't um but I will just say from that point on the group dynamic just completely devolves and somehow the plant takes advantage of that like it is intelligent and it can listen and it can imitate people I mean I think this this book does an excellent job of encapsulating like complete (laughs) hopelessness and despair of a in 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 a group dynamic um rather than you know an an individual losing hope it's like what happens when a group as a whole loses hope and I would say that's kind of similar to the uh the book we need to do something 
in that it's a group in a hopeless situation and a disaster situation but I would say the ruins are nowhere near as claustrophobic it's just a lot of good old-fashioned body horror nothing too crazy nothing like Nick Cutter's books for example but it it's it's there and it's very Hollywood and that's why I was saying it it was written in a way to be adapted into a screenplay like it is just gory enough to make your skin crawl but not so gory they could never put it on a movie screen which is what I would say about any and all of Nick Cutter's books I'm sorry um I don't know who I'm apologizing to there because it's not him he knows what he's doing I want to talk briefly about the movie The Ruins just because book to screen adaptations I've got a lot of thoughts on them. Generally, the book is always better than the movie. I think the movie did a great job of nailing that. Yeah, it's a good horror, but it's also a little bit cheesy. It's, it's, I keep wanting to say chick flick and that's not it, <laughs> but it's, it's almost exactly what you would expect um, from a 2008 movie. One thing I would say though, is that the movie they try to put jump scares in where there's no need for them and it's not there in the book. The book is very much a slow burn until it's not a slow burn horror. I know that's normally a romance term. I'm sorry. <laughs> it escalates very quickly once it starts to escalate and the movie jumped the gun a bit and they escalated it very quickly by killing somebody off who didn't actually die in the book right away and I don't understand why they did that they could have just held back a little bit but I think again it was a very like Hollywood decision to get people their gore right away and I think that kind of took away from the suspenseful nature of the book so whatever as you could expect me to say read the book before you watch the movie <laughs> really briefly I want to talk about um what I'm excited to be reading so I have a couple books that I'm working on right now. The first one is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. I have a friend who's also in the Amherst Wire and they say their name like Talia and so that's that's it for me, okay? Anyway, it's supposed to be this really cute romance and I went to um, the Toppings bookstore in Edinburgh and let me tell you, highly recommend highly recommend because the people who work there will talk to you about books for a really long time <laughs> which is exactly what I did that's what they recommended to me that's what I took and I am very excited to start reading it even though I am in a reading slump which sounds ironic but listen the male love interest is an ex-rugby player period end of story Okay, um, and then the next book that I am reading, um, which is completely the opposite, whereas Take a Hint, Danny Brown is all fuzzy, feel-good romance, um, this one is called Tender is the Flesh, and it's by Augustina Bazterica. It's about, um, it was originally written in Spanish, um, and since has been translated into English, obviously, um, and so it's about, um, it's like a dystopian novel about how society functions after this virus makes um, all animal meat inedible to humans um, without infecting them. So all animals have been killed off and then a section of the human population has been set aside for consumption. Yay! Uh, so it's apparently very messed up and I'm only a few pages in and I concur. <laughs> 
Um, but apparently it's a very excellent societal critique, um, and which, again, only a few pages in. I, I agree with you there. That's, that is for sure something that it is, but it is so depressing. I have been, in fact, putting it off. Um, I'm gonna be totally honest with you. It is okay to be in a reading slump. I am the first to admit to be in one. I have been playing a lot of Animal Crossing in my spare time. And if you at any point are like, I want to read a book before you talk about it and then listen to you talk about it, which would probably be a good idea. The books that I'm reading right now, again, are Take a Hint, Danny Brown and Tender is the Flesh, <laughs> which just sounds so funny next to each other. Okay, so anyway... <laughs> yeah that's that i hope everyone has a very nice october um and is also very excited for spooky season as much as i am and please please read the two books that i recommended today i highly recommend them they are extremely entertaining and they come with two movies so like if you're looking for movies to watch on like a scary movie night with your friends there you go i recommended movies as well you're welcome okay thank you so much for listening you can find um this podcast and more of my journalism work on the amherstwire.com if you search my name selena river and I you can also find my Instagram at Selena Rivernider, my YouTube channel, which is also my name, Selena Rivernider, and my Twitter, which is surprisingly not actually my name. It's just C Rivernider. So there we go. Throw in a little bit of variety. Um, oh yeah, and I have a website, and that is crivernider.wixsite.com slash Selena Rivernider. That's all. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time, hopefully, with my new co-host.